Hello, Horror Fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast. Oh, oh the, the horror. horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to oth at seriouslydecent.com. You can also check out our website for our back catalog and social media links at ohthehorrorpodcast.com. Sure can. How goes it? <laughs> Been better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Allergies and uh, asthma are in great mix so at some point there could be a cough drop involved i'm going to apologize yeah. ahead of time for those of you who i'll are, uh, uh, i'll try to edit all the hacking <laughs> it's uh however we're gonna get right into it today because we got a lot to talk about we have so much to talk about it's not a whole it's not a great topic but it's horror so sometimes they're not all great well i mean if we're going to talk about it's actually a great topic the embodiment of evil and how evil can take Hold. Can take hold and, yeah. and take root in in people and society. This is an excellent example. I think it also shows why things happen, too. Because the result after this, yeah. which I'll touch on that yeah. quite a bit. I did a lot of digging on this. I have a lot of stuff. I'm probably not going to get to a lot of it, but right. But we'll we'll proceed. It's Sylvia Likens, Likens today. Yes. Um, I have one source. One source? Uh, IndieStar.com, um, the 1965 torture and murder of Sylvia Likens by uh, Don Mitchell at the IndieStar.com. Mm. I started off as a guide uh, with Wikipedia, which actually I have to say Wikipedia was pretty thorough on this one. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of it. But what I ended up using was uh, the Wayback Machine. Not the Wayback Machine. The Wayback Machine on the interwebs. Wow. And I was actually looking into the old articles mm-hmm. in Indianapolis with this. Right. Following the case stuff and all that. It was pretty pretty cool. So, yeah, basically, wherever my notes are, we have uh, Sylvia Marie Likens, uh, j- born January 3rd, 1949, to October 26th. 1965 was when she passed. She was 16 years old. 16 years old. And we'll preface the fact that there is a movie about this. We called it American Tragedy last week. It's and it's an American crime. crime. And I did update the Facebook group. Yep. Yep. And that had, um, let's see. Elliot um, Page. Elliot Page, formerly known as... Ellen. Ellen Page um, in the movie. And she was Sylvia. She was Sylvia. And there was James Franco was in it. Yep. And uh I'm forgetting the the mother there. Or the not the mother, but the the woman that caretaker. played uh Gertrude. Yeah. I always forget I, don't. I always forget her name. But good movie. However, watching it a second time, because the first time it's overwhelming. Yes. The second time I did not give it a second watch. Yeah. And I'll I'll get into that. Which make me, it actually make me turn around totally on the movie. Okay. It has its pluses, but we'll get into that. So, Sylvia was the third of five children born to carnival workers, Lester Cecil Likens, and his wife, Elizabeth Betty Francis. She was born between two sets of fraternal twins. There was Daniel and Diana, 
which are two years older than her, mm-hmm. and Benny and Jenny, which is one year younger. And wasn't Jenny with her at the house? Yes. Jenny Lichen suffered from polio, and this causes her caused her, her legs to be, you know, one leg weaker than the other. Mm-hmm. And she was afflicted with basically a very notable limp, and she had to wear, actually, like a steel brace on one yes. leg. Yes. And uh, Lester and Elizabeth's marriage was unstable. They often, they didn't have uh, uh, any kind of stability at all. And what they were actually doing was selling uh, candy, beer, and soda at carnival stands around Indiana throughout the summer. This caused them to move frequently. And basically, they were regularly experiencing severe financial difficulties all the time. The Likens' sons regularly traveled with their parents in order to assist with their jobs, but the parents discouraged Sylvia and Jenny from doing the same out of concern for their safety mm-hmm. and education. Yeah. As a result, both sisters frequently stayed with relatives, often their grandmother. <clears throat> so why weren't they staying with their grandmother this go-round? Well, in their teenage years, Sylvia Likens, you know, she would spend money or, you know, earn spending money with babysitting, running errands, perform uh, perform ironing chores for friends and neighbors, and often giving her mother part of the earnings. She was described as friendly, confident, and lively, um, long, wavy, light brown hair. She was very beautiful, extending uh, below her shoulders, and she was known as cookie to her friends. And she also was very protective of her timid young sister that had polio. Jenny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at this point, what happened was you're looking at like June 1965 mm-hmm. and Sylvia and Jenny are residing with their parents. And on July 3rd, their mother was arrested and jailed for shoplifting. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of started this whole sequence of events. Okay. And shortly thereafter, Lester Likens, he's the only one with the kids at this point. Mm-hmm arranged for his daughters to board with Gertrude Banaszewski. And she came into the story because she had two girls with whom the sisters, Jenny and Sylvia, became acquainted with while studying at Arsenal Technical uh, High School. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paula and Stephanie uh, Banaszewski were those two daughters. Got it. At the time of this boarding agreement, Gertrude assured Lester she would care for his daughters until his return of their own children. So he approached her and said, can you watch my girls? Right. Now the whole thing with the grandmother, I couldn't really circle around and I tried like hell to. Mm -hmm. The only thing I could do, and this is guessing, is that I don't know if the grandmother was like the in-law grandmother. Like, I don't know if it was his mother or or her mother that got arrested and, and obviously, I mean, let's be honest, in-laws and things like that, sometimes they're not the most fruitful relationships. Yeah. So I don't know that story. I have no idea with it to answer your question directly. Got I looked it. all over because I'm sitting there thinking, why didn't they have them stay at a grandparent's? Because that's usually yeah. what... If that's usually what they did, why didn't they do it this That's time? usually what they do. Now, here's the other thing. They had the other kids, too. And it might have been just a I can't handle any more type of scenario. Possible, too. I'm just trying to keep an open mind mm-hmm. on, on all of it. It's a weird story. It really gets weird. And I think what Very it is disturbing. is... disturbing. And I think what everybody has to keep in their mindscape is, is that people make shitty decisions. 
Yeah. All the time. Yeah. They, they make do. not just bad decisions, shitty decisions. Mm-hmm. And and there's a recourse for that. Mm-hmm. There really is. So you have, I brought Gutrid Banaszewski in. I have to explain who she is. She was born September 19th, 1928. And she lived to uh, June 16th, 1990. She's mm-hmm. very integral in this story. Yeah. Uh, she was born in Indianapolis, Indiana of American and Dutch descent. She was the third of six uh, children and her family was working class. On October 5th, 1939, she saw her 50-year-old father die from a sudden heart attack, which was, you know, she was 11 years old. And um, six years later, she drops out of high school at the age of 16 to marry 18-year-old John Banaszewski mm-hmm. and had four children. John had a very violent temper and occasionally beat his wife, which I had to laugh at that term. I had to include it in there occasionally. Yeah. Like it, like it matters. The two would remain together for 10 years mm-hmm. and then divorce. Right. Following the divorce, she marries another guy named Edward Guthrie. This marriage lasted three months before the couple divorced. Shortly thereafter, she remarried her first husband, yeah. And bearing him two more children, the couple divorced for a second time in 1963. Mm-hmm. I'll say it over and over again. Shitty decision after shitty decision. Yeah. And you're going to get this this crazy, insane event. Weeks after her third divorce, she began a relationship with a 22-year-old man named Dennis Lee Wright, who also physically abused her. She had one child with Wright, Dennis Lee Wright Jr., and shortly after the birth of his son, Wright abandoned her. Shortly thereafter, she filed a paternity suit against Wright for financial support of the child, although Wright was seldom to pay. So we're going to sum up here in 1965 because this is when it all starts happening. Right. We got Banaszewski who lives alone with her seven children. Mm-hmm. Paul is 17. Stephanie's 15. John is 12. Marie is 11. Shirley is 10. James is eight, and Dennis uh, Lee Wright Jr. is one, and she's 36 years old. Mm-hmm. She's five foot six inches in height. She weighed only 100 pounds, and they basically, uh, they described her as like an underweight asthmatic chain smoker. Mm-hmm. She had depression due to the stress of three failed marriages, a failed relationship, a recent miscarriage, in addition to the sporadic checks she received from her first husband, a former Indianapolis policeman, which she relied, uh, she primarily relied on uh, that support for her children. Occasionally, she performed odd jobs for neighbors and acquaintances, such as sewing or cleaning, in order to earn money. She resided in Indianapolis at 3850 East New York Street, where the monthly rent at that time was $55. Mm-hmm. So, Sylvia and Jenny are living with their parents in Indianapolis. The mother has the arrest. The father's trying to put it all together. So what he decides to do is ask Gertrude Gertrude, if she can watch the kids. He promises to pay $20 a week in exchange for the care of his daughters. And after approximately two weeks, these payments fail to consistently arrive upon the prearranged dates. Right. So basically occasionally arriving one or two days late. So at this point, Gertrude's venting her frustration at this fact upon the sisters by beating their bare buttocks with various instruments 
making statements as, well, I took care of you two little bitches for a week for nothing. Yes. And on one occasion in late August, this is when it really starts, basically. Both girls were beaten approximately 15 times on the back with a paddle. After Paula had accused Paula's the the daughter. Yes. Which, um, that's the oldest daughter. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to start tossing a lot of names around here. Because it's amazing how many people were involved in this. Uh, Yeah. And and basically, Paul had accused the sisters of eating too much food at church supper uh, the household children had attended. Then by mid-August in the same year, uh, Gertrude had begun to focus her abuse exclusively on Sylvia. And her prime motivation was likely that she was jealous of her physical appearance and mostly just her potential. Right, yes. You know, she's stuck here at the house. She's got all this bullshit around her, a summation of terrible decisions. And here's this person who can just do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And according to the the subsequent trial testimony, this abuse was initially inflicted upon Sylvia after she and Jenny had returned to the Banaszewski residence from Arsenal Technical High School as well on weekends. The abuse included subjecting Likens to beatings, starvation, forcing her to eat leftovers or spoiled food out of garbage cans. On one occasion, Likens was accused of stealing candy she actually purchased. On another occasion, in late August, Likens was subjected to humiliation when she claimed to have a boyfriend in Long Beach, whom she met in the spring of 1965, when her family lived in uh, California at that time. In response to hearing this, Gertrude asked if she had ever done anything with the boy, to which Likens, unsure of what she was even talking about, replied, I guess so, and offered that she had gone skating with boys there and once went to a park on the beach with them and Jenny. And basically the the conversation with Stephanie and Jenny, Likens mentioned that uh, she once laid under the covers with her boyfriend. Upon hearing this, Gertrude asked, why did you do that? Likens says, I don't know, and shrugs several days later. Gertrude returned to the subject with Likens telling her, you're certainly getting big in the stomach, Sylvia. It looks like you're going to have a baby. Likens thought Gertrude was kidding with her and said, yeah, it sure is getting big. I'm just going to have to go on a diet. And then basically it's this tit for tat thing going back forth. Right. And Gertrude informed her and the other girls that whenever they did something with a boy, they would be sure to have a baby. So what does Gertrude do? She kicks Likens in the genitals. Paula, three months pregnant, also jealous of her physical appearance, participated in attacking Likens, knocking her off the chair in the kitchen floor, shouting, you ain't fit to sit in a chair. On another occasion, as the family ate supper, Gertrude, Paula, and a neighborhood boy named Randy Gordon Lepper, Randy's another Mm -hmm. integral part of the story, force-fed Likens a hot dog overloaded with condiments, including mustard, ketchup, and spices. Likens vomited as a result and was later forced to consume what she had regurgitated. Right. So, in what would be Likens' only act of retaliation in this whole entire story, she spread a rumor at the high school that Stephanie and Paula, the two older sisters yep. of Gertrude, were prostitutes. She did this because she was upset with the household single and her out for these similar accusations. Right. And while at school, Stephanie was jokingly propositioned by a boy who told her that Likens started the rumor. And upon returning home that day, Stephanie questioned Likens about the rumor, and she admitted to starting it. Mm -hmm. Stephanie punched her in response, but Likens apologized to her in tears. And Stephanie then also began to cry. However, Stephanie's boyfriend, 15-year-old Coy Randolph Hubbard, 
heard this rumor. He brutally attacked Lycan, slapping her, banging her head against the wall, and flipping her backwards onto the floor. When Gertrude found out, she used the paddle to beat Lycan's. Mm-hmm. Didn't interject and say, you guys are out of control. No. Just hopping right in and, and leading this off. On another occasion, Paula beat Lycan's about the face with such force that she broke her own wrist, having primarily focused her blows upon Lycan's teeth and eyes. Later, Paula used a cast on her wrist to further beat Lycan's. Gertrude repeatedly falsely accused Lycan's of promiscuity and engaging in prostitution, delivering rants to Lycan's regarding the filthiness of prostitution and women in general. Gertrude would later occasionally force Jenny to strike her own sister, beating Jenny if she did not comply. Right. So this is where Jenny's really getting caught in the mix of this. Well, yeah. She's forced to issue these beatings. Right. Because well, she she's going to get the same it's or worse. Be directed at her. Correct. Quay Hubbard and several of his classmates frequently visited the Banaszewski residence to both physically and verbally torment Likens, often collaborating with the Banaszewski children and Gertrude herself. With the active encouragement of Gertrude, these neighborhood children would routinely beat Likens, sometimes using her as a practice dummy in violent sessions, lacerating her body, burning her skin with lit cigarettes in excess of a hundred times. This is massive, massive torture. Yes. And they would severely injure her genitals. To entertain Gertrude and her teen accomplices, Likens was forced at one point to strip naked in the family living room and masturbate with a glass Pepsi-Cola bottle in their presence, with Gertrude stating to all present that this act of humiliation being for Sylvia to prove to Jenny what kind of a girl you are. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just losing, it's losing all sense of morality at this point. Gertrude eventually forbade Likens from attending school after she confessed to having stolen a gym suit from the school after Gertrude had refused to purchase the clothing for her. For this act of theft, Gertrude whipped Likens with a three-inch wide police belt. Gertrude then switched her conversation to the evils of premarital sex before reportedly kicking Likens in the genitals as Stephanie rallied to Lycan's defense, shouting, she didn't do anything. Gertrude then burned Lycan's fingertips with matches before whipping her. A few days later, Gertrude repeatedly whipped Jenny with the police belt after she reportedly stole a single tennis shoe from the school to wear on her strong foot. Mm -hmm. So the Lycan sisters are fearful at this time of notifying either family members or adults at the school the increasing incidents of abuse and neglect. Because people say, well, why didn't they say anything? Well, It's like, at were, this point, you have everybody. And they were also afraid it would make it worse. And it didn't occur to them that anyone would move to protect them. Well, or yeah, because you now take have... Take out of the house or... You even, now have everyone yeah, involved on Everyone this. is against you. you. All these kids have parents. All these kids that were coming from the schools. According to the article, other adults came to the house and saw Sylvia's appearance. And none of them did anything. No, no. And that's, you know, in July and August. um, Well, so back to they were fearful of doing this. And and especially Jenny in particular struggled against the urge to notify family members, her little sister. Mm -hmm. But Gertrude threatened that she would herself be abused and tortured to the same degree. And Jenny was also subject to bullying by girls in her neighborhood. 
in addition to occasionally being ridiculed or or beaten whenever she alluded to Sylvia's situation. Mm -hmm. Some mob rule scenario. Yes. And actually Gertrude, she we'll get into later with that, but this just shows how manipulative she was with it. She knew exactly what the fuck she was doing. She did. Because she got the weaker sister to control. Yes. And then the older sister, she put all the abuse. If the weaker sister did anything wrong, anything. Yes. And then spread around the whole town, had her kids spread around the whole town that these kids are nothing but useless. They're worthless. Right. All of this. So now the whole town's on it. And when I say the whole town, the kids, the kids are in it. Somehow in this neighborhood, they let the kids rule the roost on this. And what happens is, is when they start doing bad things, parents have a tendency and it's a terrible tendency. And I get it. It's out of love. It's out of commitment to their kids. But when kids start doing bad things, parents stick up for them. Yeah. And it, and this is, you know, well, my kid wouldn't do that or my kid. And then right. if the kid is doing that, well, I got to make sure he doesn't get too much in trouble. I got to, mm-hmm. they get into protective mode and, and this creates these toxic, crazy situations. So in July and August, both Lester and Elizabeth Likens, Jenny and um, Sylvia's parents would occasionally return to Indianapolis to visit their daughters whenever their travel schedule afforded them the opportunity. The last occasion Lester and Elizabeth visited their daughters was in late August. And this is near kind of the crescendo of this whole event. Right. On this occasion, neither girl exhibited any visible sign of distress about their mistreatment to their parents, likely because both were in the presence of Gertrude and her children at the same time. Right. That's usually what the testimony was. Almost immediately after Lester and Elizabeth would leave the Banaszewski household on their final visit, Gertrude turned to face Likens and stated, what are you going to do now, Sylvia? They're all gone. And on one occasion in September, the girls encountered their older sister, Diana Shoemaker at a local park. Both Jenny and Sylvia informed Diana as to the abuse they were enduring at the hands of their caregiver on this occasion, adding that Sylvia was being specifically targeted for physical abuse, almost always for things she had neither said nor done. Neither sister mentioned the actual address where they resided, and initially Diana believed her sisters must be exaggerating their claims regarding the scope of their mistreatment. So at this point, you got to be like, they're There's defeated. nothing here. There's nothing here. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks Nobody. I'm. Every yeah. everybody thinks I'm lying. Everybody thinks this is an issue. So, several weeks prior to this occasion, Sylvia and Jenny. Oh, sorry. I. Uh, oh yeah, several weeks prior, Sylvia and Jenny encountered Diana in the same park where they were in the company of 11 year old Marie Banaszewski, and that was Gert, one of Gertrude's kids. Yeah. And Sylvia had been given a sandwich to eat when she mentioned to her sister she was hungry. And Likens remained silent, although Marie revealed this fact to the family in late September. In response, Gertrude accused Likens of engaging in gluttony before she and Paula choked and bludgeoned her. The pair then subjected Likens to a scalding bath to cleanse of her skin. Her sins. Her sins, sorry. Um, When Gertrude grabbing Likens' hair and repeatedly banging her head against the bath to revive her when she'd faint. So she'd faint and she'd just, boom, try to keep her up. Shortly after this, the father of a neighborhood boy named Michael John Monroe phoned Arsenal Technical High School to anonymously report that a girl with open sores across her body um, was living at the Banaszewski household, as Likens had not attended school for, for several days. A school nurse visited the address 
to investigate the claims. Gertrude claimed to the nurse that Likens had run away from her home the previous week and that she was unaware of her actual whereabouts, adding that Likens was out of control and that her open sores were a result of her to basically take care of herself and maintain personal hygiene. Gertrude fam- uh, further claimed that Likens was a bad influence on both her own children and her sister. The school made no further investigations concerning Likens' welfare. Mm-hmm. So now the school's given up on her. Right. The immediate neighbors, now these fuckers, yeah. the immediate neighbors of the Banaszewski family were a middle-aged couple named Raymond and Phyllis Vermillion. Both initially viewed Gertrude as an ideal caregiver for the Lycan sisters, and both had visited the Banaszewski residence on two occasions when the girls had been under Gertrude's care. On both occasions, the Vermillions witnessed Paula physically abusing Lycans, who on both occasions had a black eye and openly boasting about her mistreatment of the child to them. Upon their second visit to the household, both observed Likens to appear extremely meek, somewhat zombified in nature. Nevertheless, they never reported Likens' uh, mistreatment to the authorities. No. Never. And now you got to think about it, just so everybody can stay in context here. This is a village-type area. It's yeah. not rural. No. These homes are right next to each yeah. other. This is an area like where we live in, where we literally have probably 20, 30 feet between each neighbor right. and width. Mm-hmm. And there was constant screaming. Yeah. And not just like, because the thing is, is like with kids screaming and having a good time, that's it's a separate different. sound. It's different from having... Uh, Someone getting beat to an inch of their life. Yeah, or having cigarettes put out on their skin. Like, there's going to be... Like, you yeah. can tell when it's a painful scream. Oh, yeah, yeah. And on or around um, October 1st, Diana Shoemaker discovered that her sisters were temporarily residing at the Banaszewski residence. So now they know where they're staying. Mm-hmm. She visited the property in an attempt to initiate regular contact. But Gertrude refused Diana entrance to the property, stating that she had received permission from their parents not to allow either girl to see her. She then ordered Diana off the property. And approximately two weeks later, Diana encountered Jenny by chance close to the house and inquired as to Sylvia's welfare. She was informed, I can't tell you or I'll get in trouble. Right. That's all she said. So now it's starting to escalate. And basically, due to the increase of the frequency of the brutality and the torture, Likens is becoming incontinent. Um, she's denied any access to the bathroom. Yes. She's being forced to wet herself. Um, and then being burned for wetting her exactly while she sleeps. Exactly. So they end up tying her up in the basement. She was often kept naked, rarely fed, frequently deprived of water. Occasionally, she was tied to the railing of the basement stairs with her feet barely touching the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and weeks prior to locking Likens in the family basement, Gertrude had increasingly abused and tormented Likens. She would occasionally falsely claim to the children in her household that she either, uh, either herself or one of them had been the recipient of direct insults from Likens in the hope this would get them into belittling and attacking. Right. So she would basically say like something, she said something about you. And then she'd turn over to the other sibling and say, right. what do you think of that? You know, and just started turning against him. And on one occasion, Gertrude held a knife aloft and challenged Likens to fight me back. And Likens replied, she did not know how to fight. In response, Gertrude inflicted a wound to Likens' leg. And the physical and mental torment just 
it was occasionally ceased by the Banazuskis to watch their favorite television shows. Neighborhood children were also occasionally charged five cents apiece to the display of Likens' body and to humiliate, beat, skull, burn, and ultimately mutilate her. Yeah. So now they're charging kids to do it to come in there yeah. at five fucking cents. <laughs> and um, and basically throughout the captivity, with the assistance of the children, the neighborhood children restrained and gagged Likens uh, before placing her in a bathtub filled with scalding water. And they would rub salt in her wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, Gertrude and her 12-year-old son, John Jr., rubbed urine and feces from Gertrude's one-year-old son's diaper into Lycan's mouth before giving her a cup of half-filled uh, with water and stating that the water was all she would receive for the remainder of the day. Uh, John Banazuki Jr. tormented Lycan's by offering to allow her to eat a bowl of soup with her fingers and then quickly taking away the bowl when Lycan's by this stage, she's like in an extreme malnourishment. Right. And she attempted to eat the food. Uh, Gertrude eventually allowed Lycan's to sleep upstairs on the condition that she learned not to wet herself. And that night, Sylvia whispered to Jenny to secretly give her a glass of water before falling asleep. The following morning, Lycan's urinated herself. Right. Because she's just malnourished and her body can't control itself. Right. As a punishment, Likens was forced to insert an empty glass of Coca-Cola bottle into her, her vagina in the presence of the children before Gertrude ordered her into the basement. Mm-hmm. Gertrude called Sylvia upstairs to the kitchen. Somehow the conversation got around tattooing. Gertrude asked Sylvia whether she knew what a tattoo was. And she said, you branded my children, so now I'm going to brand you. And the branding would be the whole rumors around the neighborhood yes. and, and so on and so forth. Shortly thereafter, Gertrude shouted for Likens to return to the kitchen, then ordered her to strip naked before proclaiming to her, you have branded my daughters, now I'm going to brand you. She began carving the words, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, onto Likens' ab- abdomen with a heated needle. Mm-hmm. When Gertrude was unable to finish the branding, she instructed one of the neighborhood children present, 14-year-old Richard Dean Hobbs, Yep. To finish etching the words into Lycan's flesh as she took Jenny to a nearby grocery store. So Jenny isn't even seeing this. No. And what Hobbs would later insist were short, light etchings, he continued to brand the text into Lycan's abdomen as she clenched her teeth and moaned. Both Hobbs and 10-year-old Shirley Banaszewski then led Lycan's to the basement where each proceeded to use an anchor bolt and attempt to burn the letter S beneath Likens' left breast. Although they applied one section of the loop backwards, and this deep burn scar would resemble basically like the the number three. Mm -hmm. Just couldn't do it anymore, I guess. Gertrude later taunted Likens by claiming she would never be able to marry due to the words carved on her stomach, stating, Sylvia, what are you going to do now? You can't get married now. What are you going to do? Weeping Likens replied, I guess there's nothing I can do. Later that day, Likens was forced to display the carving or the branding to neighborhood children with Gertrude claiming she had received the inscription at a sex party Mm -hmm. that she did it herself. Right. That night, Sylvia confided to her sister, Jenny, I don't know. I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell it. And I just can't even imagine being in that situation where you know where this is going to end. Yeah. You know where it's going. 
It's it's beyond your control. There's nothing you can do. Right. And you have this this sister, the sibling of yours next to you that is in the same situation. Right. But also probably has this fear of what's going to happen to me after my sister dies. Exactly. Because they're not going to stop. No. They're just going to keep going. Right. And, you know, it's it's one of these attitudes where it's, yeah, it's okay not happening to me. But at some point, it's going to be directed to you. And there's that, I imagine at that point, her sister must have had that feeling of, this is all going to come to my doorstep now. Yeah. And... And it's, uh, it's, it's just so unfortunate. So the following day, Gertrude Banaszewski woke Likens, forced her to write a letter as she dictated the contents, which were intended to mislead her parents into believing their daughter had run away from the Banaszewski residence. So even here, Gertrude knows what the hell's going on. Yeah. And she knows that she has to put kind of, for lack of a better term, a fucking bow on this thing. Right. And cover her ass. The uh, Indies... Indy article said that when Banaszewski realized Sylvia might be dying, she forced her to write a note saying a gang of boys beat her. Yeah. And the, the plan was to blindfold her and dump her in the nearby woods with a note. Yeah. Um, and Sylvia tried to escape, but Gertrude and one of the boys stopped her, beating her again and throwing her back into the basement. Yep. Yep. The content of the letter was in frame to, you know, group of anonymous local boys. Yeah. For all the beatings and all that and... And she would agree to engage in sexual relations with him before they do the abuse and torture. And after she wrote the letter, Gertrude finished formulating her plan to have John Jr. and Jenny blindfold Sylvia and take her to a nearby wooded area known as Jimmy's Forest and leave her there to die. Right. After she finished writing the letter, Likens was then tied to the stair railing and offered crackers to eat. Although she refused them, saying, give it to the dog, I don't want it, in response... Gertrude forced the crackers into Lycan's mouth before she and John Banaszewski beat her, particularly around the stomach. So now we're getting into October 25th to 26th. Right. Lycan's attempt to escape from the basement after overhearing a conversation between Gertrude and John Banaszewski pertaining to the family's plan to abandon her to die. She attempted to flee to the front door. However, due to her injuries and weakness, Gertrude caught her before she could escape the property. Likens was then given toast to eat, but was unable to consume the food just due to massive dehydration. Right. Gertrude forced the toast into her mouth before repeatedly striking her in the face with a curtain rod until sections of the instrument were bent into right angles. Coy Hubbard then took the curtain rod from Gertrude and strike Likens one further time, rendering her unconscious. Gertrude's then dragged Likens to the basement. That evening, Likens desperately attempted to alert neighbors by screaming for help, hitting the walls of the basement with a spade. One immediate neighbor of the Banaszewskis would later inform police she had heard the desperate commotion and that she had identified the source as a man, you know, coming from the basement of the property. Mm -hmm. But that as the noise had suddenly ceased at approximately 3 a.m., she decided not to inform the police of it. This is where, again, just the whole neighborhood got swallowed up into this. And uh, so by the morning of October 26th, Likens was unable to either speak uh, or correctly coordinate the movement of her limbs. Gertrude did move Likens into the kitchen and having her propped up against the wall, attempted to feed her a donut and a glass of milk. Although she threw Likens to the floor in frustration when Likens was unable 
to correctly move the glass of milk to her lips, she was returned to the basement. Shortly thereafter, Likens became delirious, repeatedly moaning and mumbling. When Paula asked her to recite the English alphabet, Likens was unable to recite anything beyond the first four letters or to raise herself off the ground. In response, Paula verbally threatened to, you know, stand, have her stand up or she would inflict, a, you know, just more mm-hmm. beatings on her. Gertrude then ordered Likens, who had defecated, to clean herself. That afternoon, several Likens other tormentors gathered in the basement. Likens jerkingly moved her arms in apparent attempt to point at the faces of the tormentors she could recognize, making statements as, you're Ricky, you're Gertie, before Gertrude you know, shouted, shut up, you know who I am. Minutes later, Likens unsuccessfully attempted to bite into a rotten pear she had been given to eat, stating she could feel the looseness in her teeth. Upon hearing this, Jenny replied, don't you remember, Sylvia? Your front tooth was knocked out when you were seven. Jenny then left Sylvia in the basement to perform gardening chores for neighbors in the hope of earning spending money. An attempt to wash Likens, a laughing John Banaszewski Jr., sprayed her with a garden hose brought to the house that afternoon by Randy Lepper at Gertrude's request. Likens again desperately attempted to exit the basement, but collapsed uh, before she could reach the stairs. In response to this effort, Gertrude stamped on Likens' head before standing and staring at her for several moments. Shortly after 5.30 p.m., Richard Hobbs returned to the Banaszewski residence and immediately proceeded to the basement. He slipped on the wet basement stairs and fell heavily to the floor of the basement to be confronted with the sight of Stephanie crying and cuddling Likens' emaciated, lacerated body after she had been ordered by her mother to clean Sylvia. I don't feel bad for this chick crying at no. all. I'm glad that son of a bitch fell down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie and Richard then decided to give Likens a warm, soapy bath and dress her in new clothes. They then laid her upon a mattress in one of the rooms as Sylvia muttered her final wish that her daddy was here and that Stephanie would take her home. Stephanie then turned to her younger sister, Shirley, exclaiming, oh, she'll be all right. When Stephanie realized that Likens was not breathing, she attempted to apply mouth-to-mouth resuscitation as Gertrude repeatedly shouted to the children in the house that Likens was faking her death. Mm-hmm. She was 16 year, years old when she finally succumbed to her injuries. Cause of death was determined to be brain swelling, internal hemorrhaging of the brain, and shock induced by Sylvia's extensive skin damage. Sylvia also suffered from extreme malnutrition. She was buried at Oak Hill Cemetery in Lebanon. She had 150 separate wounds across her body. 150 yeah. separate wounds. The wounds themselves were also varied in location, nature, severity, and the actual stage of healing when they right. were determining all to this in the autopsy. It was that this was a pro- prolonged, prolonged thing. Yeah. Her injuries included burns, severe bruising, extensive muscle and nerve damage. Her vaginal cavity was almost swollen shut. Although an examination of the canal determined that her hymen was still intact discrediting Gertrude's assertions that Likens had been three months pregnant, right. a, a prostitute, or even promiscuous. Right. Moreover, all of Likens' fingernails were broken backwards, and most of the external layers of skin upon the child's face, breasts, neck, and right knee had peeled or receded. During her actual death, Likens had ev- uh, evidently bitten through her lips, 
partially severing sections of them from her face. So, you know, the cause you were saying, it was the subdural hematoma receiving a severe blow to her right temple. Mm-hmm. And both the shock of the, of the previous injuries and everything, it just it was too much. And uh, they were also saying with rigor mortis fully developed at the time of the discovery of the body. Right. This indicated that Likens may have been deceased for up to eight hours before she was found. Although the doctor did not um, note that Likens had been recently bathed, possibly after death, and that this act could have hastened the, the loss of body temperature and thus speeding the onset of rigor mortis. Right. So they were undecided with that. So they're saying that when they bathed her, that could have yeah, so sped, sped up the whole thing. You're process. looking at basically two scenarios. You're looking at either they bathed her and then she died after that, mm-hmm. and it was a long period of time, or it was a shorter period of time and she passed away and they bathed her right. to clean her up. Right. And unfortunately, no one really knows much about this. Now, the arrest... Is interesting because I'm going to put this with a primer before we get into the whole arrest details. Mm -hmm. If this chick stayed alive for a week, one month, two months, whatever, all this would be status quo. Yeah. Nothing would change. Yeah. Everything would have been going the way it was going. And although Gertrude Banaszewski initially beat Sylvia's corpse with a book shouting faker, faker, faker. She soon panicked because this is testimony of what was happening. Right. She instructed Richard Hobbs to call the police from a nearby payphone. When police arrived at her address at approximately 6.30 p.m., Gertrude led the officers to Lycan's emaciated, ex- emaciated. Em- emaciated, extensively bludgeoned and mutilated body laying upon a soiled mattress in the bedroom before handing them the letter she had forced Lycan's to previously write to her dictation. Also claimed she had been doctoring the child for an hour or more prior to her death, having applied rubbing alcohol to the wounds and a futile attempt at first aid before she died. She added that Likens had earlier run away from her home with several teenage boys before returning to her house earlier that afternoon, bare-breasted and clutching the note. Mm-hmm. Clutching a Bible, Paula Banzuski, having stated to all present in the household that Likens' death was meant to happen then glanced in Jenny's direction and calmly stated, if you want to live with us, Jenny, we'll treat you like our own sister. Sure. It's a quote out of the mouth at the time of the arrest. Yeah. The formal statement provided by Jenny Likens prompted officers to arrest Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, and John Banaszewski Jr. on suspicion of Likens' murder within hours of the discovery of the body. The same day, Coy Hubbard, Richard Hobbs were also arrested and charged with the same offenses. The three eldest Banaszewski uh, children, plus Coy Hubbard, were placed in custody of a nearby juvenile detention center. The younger Banaszewski children and Richard Hobbs were detained at the Indianapolis Children's Guardian's home. All were held without bail pending trial. Good. Yes. Very good. Basically, at this point, Gertrude denied any involvement in Liking's death. She sure did. Yep. She denied any knowledge of the torture, claiming the children must have done it all. And she entered pleas of not guilty and not guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah. That was her official plea. Yep. And Gertrude further admitted to having, uh, uh, let's see. So 
where was I? Yeah, she denied all the uh, the involvement. She confessed to have knowing the kids, particularly uh, the daughter, Paula and Coy, had physically and emotionally abused like. And so she was saying she knew ab- that the kids were right abusing um, and, and stated that Paula did most of the damage and that Coy Hubbard did a lot of the beating. She's blaming her own daughter. Yes. Gertrude further admitted to having forced the girl to sleep in the basement on approximately three occasions when she wet the bed. She was going to offer that up. Right. And she actually became evasive when off when one officer stated the likely reasons like Likens had become incontinent were her mental distress and injury to her kidneys. Right. Um, lacking any remorse, Paula signed a statement. And she admitted repeatedly beating Sylvia about the backside with her mother's police belt. Also once breaking her wrist on Sylvia's jaw and inflicting other acts of brutality, including punishing her down the or pushing her down the stairs to the basement two or three times and inflicting a black eye. John Jr. admitted to having spanked Sylvia on one occasion, adding that most of the time I used my fist to abuse her. Mm-hmm. He admitted to having uh, burned Sylvia with the matches on several occasions, adding that his mother had reper- repeatedly burned the child with cigarettes. So they're all turning against each other. Right. I mean, at least the kids are admitting they were doing it. I, I mean, I mean, I I'm guess. just, I'm going to be flat honest here. Five other neighborhood children who participated in the Likens abuse, Michael Monroe, Randy Lepper, Darlene McGuire, Judy Duke, and Anna Sisko had also been arrested October 29th. All were charged with causing injury to person and each uh, subsequently released into the custody of their parents under subpoena to appear as witnesses in the trial or the indictments of the Mar- uh, Marion County uh, grand jury returned first degree murder indictments against Gertrude and two of her three oldest children, Paul and John also indicted were Richard Hobbs, Coy uh, Hubbard, all were charged with having uh, repeatedly struck, beaten, kicked and otherwise inflicting a culmination of uh, fatal Injuries to Sylvia Likens with premeditated malice. Three weeks prior to the filing of the indictments against the five defendants, Stephanie had been released from custody upon a writ of habeas corpus bond with her attorney successfully contending the state had insufficient evidence to support any murder or culmination of fatal injuries charges against her. Right. Stephanie waived her immunity from any potential impending prosecution while agreeing to testify against her family and any other individuals charged with abusing and murdering Likens. At a formal pre-trial hearing held on March 16, 1966, several psychiatrists testified before Judge Saul Isaac Robb as to their conclusions regarding psychiatric evaluations they had conducted upon the three individuals indicted upon Likens' murder. Those experts testified that all three were mentally competent to stand trial. Correct. So then the trial proceeds, and it's the trial of Gertrude, Paula, John, Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, begin on April 18, 1966. All were tried together before Judge Robb at Indianapolis City County Building. Initial jury selection began on this date and continued for several days. The prosecution announced their intention was to seek the death penalty for all five defendants on April 16th. I really wish they had... They also successfully argued before the judge that all the defendants should be tried together as they were ultimately charged with acting in concert in their collective crimes against Likens 
and that is such. If each were tried separately, neither judge nor jury could hear testimony relating to a total picture of the accumulation of offenses committed. So each prospective juror was questioned by consuls for both prosecution and defense in relation to their opinions regarding capital punishment being a just penalty for first-degree murder and whether a mother was actually responsible for the deportment of her children. Jurors who expressed any opposition to the death penalty were excused from duty. That's how court works. Everybody needs to understand this. Yeah. Any who uh, either worked with children expressed prejudice against an insanity defense or repulsion regarding the actual horrific nature of Lycan's uh, death were excused by defense counsels. So basically anybody that would have actually had some moral, some sort of moral compass. Yeah. Anybody who would have some sort of, uh, you know, uh, moral compass to guide them through a correct decision. No, you're excluded. Mm -hmm. Gertrude was defended by William Erbrecker. Her father, or, you know, they were basically defended by different, uh, attorneys, attorneys with the exception of, uh, John Banaszewski Jr. And, uh, Coy Hubbard. They were they were represented by, by a single same, same guy. Uh, the attorneys for Richard, Coy, Paula, and John claimed they had been pressured into participating in Lycan's torment abuse and torture by Gertrude. Gertrude. Gertrude so yeah. you have Gertrude blaming the kids. You have the kids blaming Gertrude. Right. And Gertrude herself pled not well, guilty just... by reason of insanity. Well, okay. For a second. Yeah. Because we're on good time here. If it wasn't for the fact that Gertrude was not only encouraging it, I doubt they would have come to any of these ideas on their own. I think So they had to know that Gertrude was cool with whatever they were going to do to her. It's her house. Which makes her culpable. Yeah. No, this is... um... And I mean, to see Gertrude, because she's the one who actually started the abuse, in all honesty. Yeah. Well, and and she she, allowed it to happen. She's the adult. She set the tone. She was cool with it. She's the adult in the house. And and parents, I'm going to say this, because it's fucking true. This is why you can't have your kids be your friend. No. You can't have your kids be your friend. Be... A parent, be a guiding force in their life, yes. be a role model. Even if you are not a perfect person, right. try to constantly pursue a path of being a good person, right. doing good things for right. people. Because being better, doing better for your children. Because how did all these kids be this bad? It's under the house they lived in. Uh, yeah, and and I, it's not limited to Gertrude. And it's this is the where neighbors, it's yeah, all of the parents of these kids. And this like, is where I'm going to take not a pause. One parent was like, "Hey, why are you always going over to that house?" Not one parent asked the question. Yeah, well, and here's the thing, and this is something I wanted to get to later, but it it, it fits here. This is the textbook example of herd mentality. It is. It really is. And basically it's, you know, however people want to, you know, if you're not familiar with herd mentality, it's mob mentality, pack mentality. Right. It's gang mentality. Yes. 
basically it it's just it, this is how people can be influenced by their peers to adopt behaviors on a large emotional level rather than at a rational level. Right. And when individuals are affected by this type of mentality, they're going to make different decisions than they would as an individual. Right. And we saw that all last year as people burned down village, you know, towns, yeah. city blocks. Yeah. All those people on their own would have never done any of that shit. Right. But you get them in a pack, you get them in a herd. Right. And and the energy gets moving. The emotion gets yeah. moving. It all just feeds And it, it feeds the emotion. And all rationality is out the door. Now you got people that are burning down a store that they shopped at. Right. That they were friendly to the owner for, for years. Yeah. Wished them to have a good day. They wished them to have a good day. You were fine giving them money to help them, their families succeed. Right. And now on whatever day, insert, you're going to burn their goddamn place down. And you're okay with it. And you're good with it. Yeah. You're on a car with your fist up in the air shouting and you don't even know what the hell you're shouting for. No. You don't even know what you're doing. No. And now, you know, and and I, I don't feel sorry for people like that. No. I, I pray for them, and I hope that they can find a good way in their life. But the fact is, is you just destroyed your own community. Right. And that's the same thing here. Right. They destroyed, they all destroyed their own community. Right. And this is what happens when one person can't stand up. And I mean properly stand up. Yes. Not just stand up and say, well, somebody's got to do something about that. That doesn't right. do anything. If you see something, say something. Well, no. I'm saying if you see something, do something. Yeah. Because this is where people said something, but nobody did anything. anything. No. And that's the problem here. And this is a problem that's going on a lot today. Yeah. Not just today, but for the last year. If you see something wrong, do something about it. Right. Quit being a fucking wimp. Yeah. And I hate to get all pissed off about this, but this is what this story represents to me. Yes. It really does. Yes. And this was back in 1965, and it goes to show nothing's changed. No. This is how the Salem witch trials were done. Yes. This is how civilizations civilizations fall in the Roman right. Empire and yes. Egypt and, yes. and the Mayan Empire. It's crap like this. Those who refuse the past are condemned to repeat it. Mm-hmm. So everyone who's trying to whitewash the history of anything. Of, of anything yeah if you don't accept it you have to accept it for the brutality that it contains because if you don't you haven't learned anything from it exactly and you will not move on if you can't accept what happened in the past you can't learn from it nor can you grow nor can you be better yeah and in order to grow you've got to learn from it yes and you know unfortunately if you've signed off now and are not listening to this anymore Good luck. Yeah. But if you're listening to this, you really need to look at this for what it is. This and this horrible. This is absolutely this absolutely terrible. horrible. And the fact that everyone, literally everyone failed this girl. Yeah. I'm I'm saying I as a person could not as a neighbor no have heard any of that or seen any of that and not done a single thing. If that was going on next door to me, 
I would, I would be calling the police daily. No, I would call the police, and if the police didn't do anything, I'd go there and do something about it. Yes. And you know I would. Yes. Because to me, it's worth the jail time. Yes. To me, it's worth the time in prison. I will take whatever punishment I'm given right. to try to help another soul right. that just is having the hardest time being saved. Yeah. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to sit there and watch. And that's yeah, what I can't get over. Happen. And even like last year with all these cities burning down and all that, you got people with the phones. Yeah. You know, I watched a video last year and it's not just a, it's tons of them where a guy literally walks up with a pistol and shoots somebody right in the face on these riots. Yeah. And you're sitting there with a fucking phone taking a video of it. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're worse than the person with the gun. Yeah. You're terrible because you feel like you've got to film this. You feel yeah. like you've got to, you know, what are you doing? Yes. You know, I mean, it just, There's you're no vindication doing there. nothing there. No. And it just, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, but, you know, I hate to get all anarchists and, and all that stuff, but people got to start stepping up. Yeah. If there's shit you don't believe in and shit that you don't like at your core, stand up. You have to. Stand up and do something because that's what the story of Sylvia Likens is. Yes. Because everybody will sit there and say, how can this terrible thing happen to a girl? How can it happen? Apparently quite easily. Well, no. I think, I personally think that everything happens for a reason. I really do. And a deep down reason. Mm -hmm. I do think there is a, a plan, quote unquote, of it. Now, here's the thing is everybody had their, their nose up in the air because, and I, I'm, I'm not going to get too... I'm not going to pump this completely full of Christianity here, but the fact is, is let's skip ahead to what happened as a result of, of all this, you know, okay. well, we we'll get to that after actually let's finish the, the trial. So the testimony comes in, sorry for the rant, but we love to rant here, <laughs> but basically, sorry, not sorry. Yeah. The trial comes through and Jenny Likens testifies Against all, all the defendants, of course. Basically, the kids are blaming the mother. Right. The mother's, mother's blaming, blaming the, the kids. kids. Yada, yada, we really yada. had to figure out where we wanted to focus the most on this, and I wanted to focus on the actual things that were happening to Sylvia. Right. The trial, eventually. I, I'll... I'll pick it up. Okay. So on May 19th, 1966, a jury found Banaszewski guilty of first-degree murder. Paula Banaszewski was found guilty of second-degree murder. Mm -hmm. Hobbs, along with Banaszewski's son, John, and another neighborhood boy, Coy Hubbard, were convicted of manslaughter. Gertrude and Paula Banaszewski were sentenced to life terms at the Indiana Women's Prison in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. The boys were sentenced to two to 21 year terms at the Indiana State Reformatory in Pendleton. In 1971, the Indiana Supreme Court granted Gertrude and Paula Banaszewski a new trial due to prejudicial atmosphere, quote. But Gertrude was again convicted of first-degree murder on August 5th, 1971. Paula ple uh, pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of voluntary manslaughter and served about two years in prison. The three boys were released on parole for good behavior in 1968. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing the math, two years they got out for good behavior. Yeah. After serving about two years of their sentences. Paula, Paula got out... Um... Yeah, and and that's 
that's the crazy, crazy part of it. Gertrude ended in up getting parole. December 1985, yeah. she's released on parole. She changes her name to Nadine Van Fossen and moves to Iowa where she lives in obscurity until her death from lung cancer on June 16th, 1990. And Paula married and moved to a farm in Iowa. So they were barely held accountable, yeah. honestly, because they murdered this girl. Well, but that's the town protecting themselves. I mean, I you know. guess. Yeah. But, I mean, the fact that they were released two years, two years, you are young children, you're impressionable, and I'm sorry, but if a child that young can do something that That heinous, terrible, yeah. That doesn't say a whole lot for that person. Mm-hmm. And to just be let out in two years because they followed the rules in jail. So what if, if, if the corrections officers had told them to beat and kill other inmates, would that have been okay? Because that's essentially what Gertrude did and they seem to be okay with it. And they served two freaking years. Yeah. That's well, bullshit. Yeah. But it also gets better. Following her 1972 parole, Paula assumed the new identity. She worked as an aide to a school counselor for 14 years at the Iowa Beeman Conrad Liscombe Union Witten, that's a mouthful, school district. She changed her name to Paula Pace, and she concealed the truth regarding her criminal history to the school district when applying for the position. Of course she did. She was fired in 2012 when the school discovered her true identity. Paula reported uh, reportedly lives in a small town in uh, Iowa. She's married, has two children, Baby daughter to whom she'd given birth while being tried in 1966 and who was named after her mother was adopted. The murder charges initially filed against Gertrude's second eldest daughter, 15-year-old Stephanie, were ultimately dropped after she agreed to turn state's evidence against the other defendants. So she ratted out. Yeah. So they dropped everything for her. Yep. Although prosecutors did resubmit their case against Stephanie before a grand jury on May 26, 1966... The decision to later prosecute her in a separate trial never happened. Of course not. Never materialized. Stephanie Banaszewski assumed a new name and became a school teacher. She later married and had, uh, she has several children. Stephanie Sarekstad currently lives in Florida. Awesome. When questioned at the trial as to her motive for turning state's evidence, Stephanie Banaszewski had claimed, I'm just here in the hope I can help anybody. In response to her mother's uh, attorney, Sneered replied, the attorney of the mother said, including yourself. It's just this crazy, like they all turned onto each other like a bunch of animals. It's Lord of the Flies. They were animals. No, but I'm just saying it's Lord of the Flies. Like if you really want to understand how all this happens, read Lord of the Flies. Yes. Because this is mob mentality. Yes. You know, I mean, this is. This is exactly what it is. Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, and John Banaszewski each served less than two years. Richard Hobbs died of lung cancer at the age of 21, less than four years after his release from the Indiana Reformatory. Uh, And he was um, suffered at least, uh, he had a few nervous breakdowns. Following his 1968 release from Indiana Reformatory, Coy, uh, Coy Hubbard remained in Indiana, never attempted to change his name, and he, throughout his whole life, was just, he's basically a career criminal. Shocked. John 
Banaszewski Jr. lived in relative obscurity under the alias John Blake. He became a lay minister, frequently hosting counseling sessions for the children of divorced parents. Several decades after his release from Indiana Reformatory, John Jr. issued a statement in which he acknowledged the fact that he and his co-defendants should have been sentenced to a more severe term of punishment, adding that young criminals are not beyond rehabilitation and describing how he had become a productive citizen. He died of diabetes in 2005 at the age of 52. Prior to his death, he had also occasionally spoken publicly about his past, readily admitting he had enjoyed the attention Lycan's murder brought upon him and also claiming to have only hit Sylvia once. Yeah, these people are slime. Absolute slime. The injury to person charges brought against the other juveniles known, you know, uh, Anna Ruth Susco, Judy Duke, and, you know, the rest of them, they were all dropped. Cisco ultimately married. She died uh, in 1996, age 44. Um, she also visibly uh, smirked as uh, they testified having to hit Likens up to 40 separate occasions. Jenny Likens later married an Indianapolis native named uh, Leonard, uh, Leonard Wade. The couple had two children. Although she remained traumatized by the abuse, she had been forced to watch her sister endure. For the remainder of her life, Jenny was dependent upon anxiety medication. She died of a heart attack on June 23, 2004, at age 54. Fourteen years prior to her death, Jenny uh, Lincolns had uh, viewed Gertrude uh, Banaszewski's obituary in a newspaper. She clipped a section of the newspaper, then mailed it to her mother with an accompanying note reading, Some good news. Damn old Gertrude died. Ha, ha, ha. I'm happy about that. And um, Elizabeth and Lester uh, died in 1998, 2013, respectively. And years prior to her own death, Jenny Lincoln's Wade had repeatedly emphasized no blame should be placed upon either of her parents for placing her and Sylvia in the care of Gertrude Banaszewski, stating all her parents had done was trust Gertrude's promise to actually care for them until they returned to Indiana with the traveling carnival. So this gets into the movie because the movie I watched a second time. I remember watching it the first time. Yeah. And uh, shell shocked, I think, is the best. Yeah, because to read to read this, I mean, the, the movie's graphic then, and showing all this. The, the movie was. But honestly, at the end of the day, when I started, because it tells you at the beginning that it's based on a true story. Yeah. And. You know how I am about that. I yeah. either, all right, they either just use the name or, you know, it, it mm-hmm. varies as to how true, quote unquote, the story is. And then I started doing the research immediately after the movie and the true story was so much worse. That's why I it wanted to get into so all the details. much worse. That's why I wanted to get all the details today here because- the, the movie covers about, honestly, half of what we just talked about. Yeah, and honestly, it's sugar-coated. Yeah, well, watching the movie the second time, this is what pissed me off with the movie. Okay. They really actually make Gertrude look like the victim. They want you to understand why Gertrude's having a hard time, and, you know. Right. And, and I have a real hard time with that. 
the movie should have been focused on Sylvia. Sylvia. Yes. And solely on Sylvia. Yes. But they try to portray this this story arc of Gertrude just being this woman who was in tough times. And yeah. here's here's what, you know, I remember reading some comments on there. And the first comment, I knew it after watching the movie. First comment on one of, it was either like IMDB or whatever. I almost wanted to write it on here and call the, right. the handle out because she's a fucking moron. Moron. Yeah. This just shows you can't judge a book by its cover. And no, and she goes, and what about, how come no one's blaming the Likens as parents? It's the parents' fault. And I'm just sitting there like, you know what? This is the pure statement of where we are today. Yeah. Where heaven forbid somebody have some fucking accountability. Gertrude. Gertrude promised to take care of those did. kids like they were her own. Yes. And further, she was being paid. Yeah. She was being paid to take care of them. Well, and it's funny you mention that because that's why I put that the rent for that property was $55. At that time was $55 a month. So let's do the math. And the Lycans were sending her $20 a week. $20 a week. For the girls. Yeah. So even though if she didn't get that on time, let's say she got two payments a month. Right. Let's just say she got two. That's 40 bucks. That's most of your rent. That's most of your rent being covered by these two kids. Right. Th one of whom you are beating. Yeah. And you are beating to a point where you know she's going to die. So does she honestly think they're still going to send her $20 well, to take and, care of their other child? Well, no. And I, I'm saying they don't, they don't know that at this time. So what about, but what I'm getting at is, is this again, Let's take our heart out of this for a second and do the math. Twenty dollars a week. Let's say let's say she's getting half of that. That's forty dollars. That's covering most of her rent. Mm -hmm. She's got money scatterly coming in from these other guys. Right. The oldest sister's working right. and bringing in money. Now, if this chick had half a fucking brain, she would have had Sylvia working because Sylvia was working. Right. She was doing tasks. But instead, you're locking her in a basement. Able yeah. able-bodied person out there working. She could have actually been making a quite a bit of money. Yeah. No, exactly. And this just shows how disturbed this person is. I massively hated disturbed Gertrude, and I still well, you hate, <laughs> loathe, and despise her. Yeah. Because I don't care. I don't care what your circumstances. I don't care that you made a series of bad decisions. And mm -hmm. I don't care that you have seven kids that you technically can't afford or pay for. That's your problem. You created that mess and you have to deal with it. That does not give you the right to take that out on any other person. No, no. Furthermore, it does not give you the right to beat someone, abuse someone, torture someone, and encourage everyone around you yeah. to also beat, torture. And well, no, and this just goes to show that people will fall in and not stir the stick-ups. Because let's, let's throw another disclaimer out here on this that's true. You would think this story, like if I were to tell you this whole entire story, but not give you any background on the people, like if I were to just tell you this story and say this chick Gertrude did this mm -hmm. and blah, 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 blah. You would think that Gertrude was the fucking mayor of this town. You would have thought she was 
uh, like yeah. How the, did she get away with it? How did so many how people did somebody, just let it go? How how could somebody so low class? I'm yes. going to say it for what yes. it is. Have absolute no influence in the community. Yes. How did she get away with this? I know the answer to this question. Lay you know, it on me. How basically the answer to this question is the kids. This is where I said, like, you know, because she sits there because when she was on parole and she was granted parole, Mm -hmm. it was the most lamest confession ever. And she says, you know, to be honest with you, I was on so many drugs back then. I didn't know what was going on. And it was her drugs for asthma, quote unquote. And and her drugs for some As stuff. As someone with asthma, yeah. I am not on any mind-altering drugs. But the fact of the matter is, is, like I said, she she said, no, I confess to what happened because, of course, she's going to confess. She's up for parole. And this is what people got to realize. She has with, to accept responsibility for what she, yeah. she did in order to be This is to how parole works, parole. folks. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you want to see a great instance of how parole can be manipulated that heist series we were watching on, what was it, Netflix or whatever the hell, and there was that guy that was in prison forever, and he had all those poets and writers oh, yeah. um, act up and try to get him out of, uh, out of, out of prison, and, and they succeeded. Mm-hmm. They succeeded with all these appeals to the parole. And what does the guy go and do? He the does the same, same thing that exact crime in, that got him in there. In prison in the first place. Yeah, yeah. and they haven't even caught him to this day. Well, yeah. I mean, it just shows he's oh, I know, good at it. But it just, you know, it's funny. But basically, she did this through the kids. She did. She got the kids roped into it. And I'm not saying she did it on purpose, but she knew deep down what she was doing on a certain level of manipulation. Well, when you have a whole community's kids, because everybody's got to realize back in that day, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't people no. texting and stuff like that. You wanted to hang out with your friend, you went out in the street, you played with them. Right. You know, or you went to their house. You knocked. You on went the to door. their house. You knocked on their door. So you've got to look at this as a a block mm-hmm. or a few blocks of a village or city type atmosphere. Yeah. You have all these kids in on it. Right. So now the problem is, is now the parents are in on it. Yeah. By default, this is what I was saying earlier. Where if you're a parent, you can't be a friend to your kid. No. And there's only a, a certain amount of time you can protect them. Yes. When they are doing this type of wrong, you've got to step back and let them fall on the stake. Yeah. You have to. There's consequences for your actions. Yeah. And now the f- <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is even this is why I wanted to bring up the post-trial and the convictions and paroles and all that. These guys got off. They did. They got They got away off. with it. Not only got away with it, but they were able to change their names, oh, yeah. lie, and somebody was a student aide at this school Many parents entrusted their kids around her. She did that for years. And she did it for years. Before she was discovered. But when I say all this happens for a reason, it does. And the reason she lost her job was because of the movie. The movie came out. Mm -hmm. And people like you and I started digging into it, Mm -hmm. looking around, checking it out. Right. And I mean, and honestly, if like you and I lived in Indiana or near Indiana, Mm -hmm. we'd be like, I'd like to check out more of this. Who's this person? Blah, blah, blah. And then you find out they changed their name. They blah, blah, blah. They do this. And then you look and you're like, oh, holy shit. Because that's Mm -hmm. what happened at the school. Mm -hmm. The school found out because of the movie. Right. They did it all. You know, they pieced all the puzzles together. And eventually she lost that. You know, she lost it. She she lost her job. Rightfully so. and, And, you know, now the other ones, I mean, died early deaths. But. 
But the fact is, is also what this did is it started the Sylvia's Child Advocacy Center. And I know a lot of people might sneer and stuff like that, but it's officially dedicated to the memory of Sylvia Likens. It was founded in 2010 in uh, Lebanon, Indiana, and initially named the Boone County Child Ad- Advocacy Center. It's a nonprofit organization, was renamed in Likens' honor in 2016, with the executive director stating the most important thing that we can do is tell kids they are hurt and we are listening. This was something no one did for young Sylvia. Her family is thankful, though it doesn't have to be that way anymore. She did not die in vain. She died a horrific death, but because of that, we're hoping that another child can be saved. It's awareness at this point. Yes. This is why you can't bury the past. No. Because it's awareness. cannot this child happen again. Well, we're going to get there too. (laughs) This Child Advocacy Center was formed with the objective to assist child victims of abuse and neglect. And I'm I'm stating this because if there's somebody there that's, how do I help? Yes. How do I get involved? This is how you help. This is how you help. If you don't have something like this, get people like yourself together and make one. Yes. If there is one existing, call them and tell them you're here to help. In Ask any way possible, need. what they need. Because trust help? me, they're going to tell you exactly, exactly what, what they, they need. need. They're going to be happy to see you. Yes. They'll probably give you a big hug. But the Child Advocacy Center was formed with the objective to assist child victims of abuse and neglect, to minimize the ongoing traumatic effects experienced as a result of their ordeal, and to undertake a relentless pursuit to prevent child abuse in both Boone and Montgomery County. Professionals at Sylvia's Child Advocacy Network or Center work in concert with both law enforcement and the local Department of Child Services. Staff also conduct forensic interviews and provide assistance with legal procedures as well as mental and medical health referrals. Mm -hmm. Now, these types of groups are a great thing, and they didn't have a lot of those then. No. They they didn't have anything like that. And that's what people have to understand that are – you know, born from like, say the nineties up, Mm -hmm. there was no child protective services. There was none of these advocacy centers. There was just the police and the police can only handle so so much. much. Yeah. But now when you get like an advocacy center involved, especially when there's department services staff, right now they're this medium kind of deal where they're a party that's approachable. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get accused of anything right Right. away. They're not in a, a dangerous situation where if you go to you know, if you go to CPS, CPS is going to sit there and just judge you and look at you and, you yeah. know, because that's their job. And also, too, um, we now have mandated reporters, which we probably did not have then. No. So the school would have been yeah, mandated by law to... All these systems are in place because of these events. To turn in the fact that Sylvia was yeah. not there. And, and that's and, where that's where people have to ask themselves, <clears throat> why did this happen? Right. On a really kind of just high moral level. And it really is. It's one of those stories where every you and I did it. We talked about it the next day. Yeah. We we're just like, how the hell can that happen? Yes. And it just shows that people left to their own devices can do some very cruel things. Horrible if you things. take all of the good out of a situation, yes. that's all you have left is an empty space to do bad things. Yes. It's because bad will naturally come up. Yes. It will. The only way you can fight those bad things is bringing good 
into that situation right. and bringing that light of good into and, it. And by the same token, I think that that follows with when you're raising your children, if you never tell them no, this oh, yeah. is that also presents this situation. Children need to understand what uncomfortable is. They need to understand that there are consequences for their action. They need to understand that there are good things and there are bad things and that it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. That's how you get your coping skills. That's how you become a functioning member of society. It can't just be yes, yes, yes all the time. There are winners. There are losers. You have to keep score because if you don't, there's nothing for them to strive toward. Well, and it's how just, do you strive to be a better person if there's no bar? If the, you exactly. don't have a bar, how how can you strive for any sort of achievement yeah. or accomplishment? And you actually diminish an actual true achievement and an actual true accomplishment, especially when everyone gets the participation trophy because the kid that was doing poorly and actually worked and, and studied and, and practiced and did everything they were supposed to do and actually did do better and actually did incrementally better. Yeah. You're now on the same level as the kid who's eaten paste. Yeah. And the how thing, is that how is that beneficial? And there's no incentive to be no. at that level. By doing so, I submit we're putting us in the situation where this shit can happen again. Oh, I we're, you're ultimately it, creating the scenario for it to happen. Yeah. No, and that's and I'm going to say it for what it is. There's no surprise that the kids of the 60s that grew up in this environment are now the old folks, they are, mm-hmm. you know, I get pissed off all the time when I see that meme on Facebook where it's the picture of Woodstock yeah. and you got all these old hippies that are waxing poetic of, About, oh, it was so great those days. And those, yeah. you know, it's nothing like today. Just three days you of know, peace and love. Well, no, just even that whole time, that whole time was peaceful. Everybody was about love. And it's like, assholes you created all of this yeah this is your guys were on drugs the whole no it has nothing it has nothing to do with that it's just they're now in their 60s and 70s you create if you're upset with everything around you it's your kids it's your world you built all of this yeah so i don't want to hear how great it was then and how fucked up it is now yeah no you don't get to do that no take some responsibility yes because I'll at least admit it, my dad will, my dad will approach me, and you've heard it from him say it a few times, where my dad's like, yeah, no, we didn't do right by you guys. No. We cared just about ourselves. Yeah. And this is a guy who served the military. Yes. You know, served an amazing line of service in Vietnam and continued to serve good service in his community and yes. his area, and, and he'll be one of the first to say it. And the humility you have to have to do that, to me, is unbelievable. It's unbelievable to have that kind of humility. Humility and, and being humble is yeah. something that everyone should be striving for. But the fact is, is I mean, you can look into it. Just look, uh, look up the term list of child abuse cases featuring long-term detention. Search that keyword. Yeah. And you're going to be surprised of how bad it really is. Yeah. There's cases of children being imprisoned by relatives. Yes. I'm going to list a couple. I'm not going to name names, but it's all over the world. 
But in, in Pennsylvania, there was a kid there abducted and imprisoned for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And you know when they were discovered? May 2020. Last year. Yeah. Last freaking year. Uh, Paris, California. 29 years. Discovered on January 14th, 2018. Let's see. Fresno, California. 26 years. Antoc, California. 18 years, two months, 16 days. And that's just an ab- an abduction. Mm-hmm. That's a story of a man and a woman abducting a child for 18 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, this isn't something that, oh, I'm glad it's not like that anymore. No, it's it still going on. And when it's that amount of time, you have a bunch of people around you. And this just shows me the sign of the times where, where people are just saying, well, somebody better do something about that. I mean, yeah. you know, being around me, I hate hearing yeah. that saying. Oh, somebody better do something about that. It's like somebody is you. What the hell? What the hell is that supposed to do? Yeah. And and also, I hate the activism posted on social media. That doesn't do shit. No. It's all it does is incite anger more People than anything. Warriors are not fighting for no. or defending. Yeah. Because you could just post anything better. Because if you just post, oh, it's a shame what's happening to child abuse. What the fuck does that do? Yeah. Nothing. And you do that, you know, taking a picture of you, you know, holding a fucking product you're endorsing next to a beach. Yeah. You know, I'm for child, you know, I'm against child abuse. Oh, great, great. Why don't you go back home and figure out where you're going to take a picture tomorrow and get 50,000 likes. <laughs> but it's just, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad we did this as a subject. At first, I was really upset because... It just, it bothered me a great deal. But I, yeah. I think these are great opportunities where we can say, this is what you can do. Yes. And, you know, if if you are not religious, there's a lot of advocacy centers around. Yeah. If you're religious, there's your church of, can help you with this. Yeah. There's a lot of avenues and groups out there. Yeah. You just have to take the initiative and get, and just, And if you see someone going through this. Check those advocacy centers. Yeah. Call the cops. Do something. Do something. Just please don't, do something on behalf of the person. Someone else is going to do it. You better. Yeah. Well, you've been assuming at this point. And if it's still going on, no one's doing Guess something what? about Nobody's it. Nobody's doing anything. You know, somebody has and, to. And if you have kids, you got to ask yourself, do you want your kids being treated like that? Yes. At the end of if the day, if child, it was your kids, in that you, situation, you would have wished a relative. You want no one to do anything. Yeah. No one to intercede. No one to say Would something. Would you be happy that a relative sat back and said nothing? Would you be happy that, you know, and honestly, if you're one of those people that just, well, no, I understand the position they're in. Get a, get a spine. Yeah. Get a spine. Yeah. And I'm not trying to yell and judge people, but it, this is just moral ethics 101. Yes. That's what this story represents. But it is very revealing that a woman of, very low standing in the neighborhood. She was a nobody. She literally was a nobody. No one wanted her. No. People, they said around the town, people said they respected her because she worked hard and they felt bad for her situation with all the kids and all that. But but she was not running the town. No. Like I said, if I were to eliminate all the backstories on all this and just said it, you would have thought Gertrude was like Madame LaLaurie. 
Yeah. Or the blood countess. Yeah. You would have thought that she was in high standing or a daughter of a very successful oil guy or something like that, you know, that has all this family influence. And that's what blew me away when I first heard the story is how does somebody who is literally a peon. She's a nobody. Get away with this. And that's my attraction to this whole subject when I looked. And it was the manipulation of the children. Yeah. She got the, the children, which got the parents. And the thing is, is like the neighbors, I know they were sitting there and they're like, if we blow the hatchet on this, the whole village is going to go on fire. So what? No, but that's what I'm saying is there's people that don't want to take on that fight. There's people who just don't. They don't have the bravery. They don't have the stones. They don't have any of it. And they just sit there. I mean, think about it. They had to sit there next door and listen to that for weeks and just do nothing. How terrible of a person you got to be to listen to that for weeks and you become, but here's what it is. It's the same situation as when you hear domestic violence happening on a recurring basis and you don't do anything at the very least you could do. If they're screaming and there's consistent screaming and yelling and there's consistent loud noises coming from a neighboring home. The least you can do is call the police because best case, the police are going to be interrupting a domestic dispute. Worst case, they were just being loud and it was nothing. But you know what? I would rather err on the side of caution, knowing that at least I did something than to not do something because you don't know when the situation happening next door has escalated to a point of no return. But domestic dispute, I got a a separate kind of a bit with it. It's the same thing. No, but they're both adults. This was a child. This child had no power. And I'm with adults with domestic disputes. and And it happens. It happens all the time. I mean, you see it with... You know, especially you talk to a lot of police officers, women, you know, will be afraid of their male spouse. That's yeah part of the dispute. And they just feel like they can't run because they'll always follow them and they'll give them all this bullshit or whatever. But what I'm getting at with the way the kids were roped into this, this is what it means. There's a big topic. There's a big thing here that we can't overlook. If we had somebody that was just domestic dispute all the time next door. Mm-hmm. And heard the noises and say we had kids. Mm-hmm. The big problem you have by not interjecting, and this is where I'm telling, I'm looking at this from a parental standpoint, is the parents have to do something to show their kids that that's not acceptable. Exactly. The moment the kids, that's where I'm saying, I don't really care what's going on in the house. This may sound terrible because, like I said, they're adults, they need to figure it out. But if you're a parent and you have kids next door, and they're going at it and screaming and hollering and you hear shit getting tossed around. What you commonly hear the statement is, is, oh, well, there's Sheila and Joe again going at it. And you're telling your kids that that's, that's acceptable. Okay. Yeah, that's, that that's why you need okay. to pick up the phone because then your children learn that that's not okay. Because what you're going to find, yeah, it's, it's desensitizing mm-hmm. kids into this type of, yeah. of, of living. And that's where you see in a lot of lower class, poor neighborhoods, yeah. you see all of this brokenness around. And, and after a while, sense. children just become desensitized to all of the brokenness. Right. 
And the fact is, it used to drive me nuts all the time where I'd walk down and I'd see just neighborhoods and just shit all over them, just fucking garbage and all that yeah. stuff. It's like, take care of your property. Yeah. You don't have to be rich to do that. No, you don't. You don't have to be a wealthy, privileged person no. to take care of your own fucking property. True. Just pick up the garbage. I'm not even asking you to mow the lawn at this point. Just pick up the garbage. Yeah. You got. You live in a village. People come and take the garbage. Yeah. You pay your landlord pays taxes for that. Yeah. And I'm saying that, and people in very low privileged areas because they don't own property, they're renting. Yeah. You know, and 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 yet I'll drive and I'll see a place that's just all hope is abandoned. All hope is abandoned. There's just garbage everywhere. Nothing's clean. Everything's a shithole. And if you, how the hell are you going to raise somebody that's yeah. not going to be desensitized from all that? Yeah. And become a a a a, a, a young adult who has no standards, mm-hmm. no standards at all. So, with that being said, thanks for hanging along with this. It was an emotional one for both of us. Yeah. The next one, not so bad. <laughs> No, no, no. We are uh, attacking the uh, gates of hell, the, the fiery crater in Turkmenistan. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I don't have much knowledge of this. I know of it, but I'm excited to have dive deeper into it. cursory knowledge when I was building yeah. the, the list. And then uh, coming up in the future, not officially slated yet for publishing but we are going to get into some alien abductions we are i'm pretty excited which we're excited about the topics we haven't really circled around yet no but and, we got uh, some good ones but we're moving we're going to move in that direction completely away from the standard horror stuff right and true crime so folks we appreciate you hanging in there with us today we appreciate you uh being listeners here on the show we uh, we can't thank you enough for for you know your your effort to keep tuning in to us. Um, yes. We hope we're uh, doing well for you. We hope you have a wonderful day. We hope you have a wonderful week. And um, one one no Ouija boards. Two no dolls. Three no capes. No capes. Four no blood rituals. No. Five. No cults. No cults. Satanic or otherwise. Yeah. And I think we should add a sixth. Yeah. Where I'm going to call it no apathy. Yeah. You have to care. Yeah. You have to care. You have to care about something. And you have to not only care, you have to act. Mm-hmm. You have to lead by example. Yeah. So no more sitting in the shadows. Which, as a result, is to make good choices, right? Well, I mean, at the end of the day. That's what this list is at the end of the day. Yes, you have to. We're we're spelling it out, but. You have to make good choices. Take care, folks.